This is Guild Ball Tonight Overtime, for when the regular show just couldn't hold all the Guild Ball we have to talk about. Alright, and we are back with another overtime segment of the Guild Ball Tonight podcast. This time around, we're going to be doing a special uh, introduction to Vassal. Now, Vassal is a an online tool for... Uh, playing tabletop games uh, remotely. So people who are in wildly separate locations, you know, across town, across the country, across the world, can can both load up a can both load up a, a module which is set up to to simulate a, a given tabletop game and play it in a, in a connected environment where the actions on, on both sides of the connection are displayed on the screen. So, you know, obviously this lends itself very well, not just to sort of traditional tabletop games, you know, chess and Carcassonne and things like that, but it, it can be used for, for miniatures gaming and, uh, for, for a lot of games out there, it, it has been used in that capacity for quite some time. I know that a lot of people in our Guildball community are very familiar with using Vassal for games like War Machine and Malifaux. And so really, you know, from, from the earliest stages of the Guildball campaign, the idea of doing a, a Vassal module for it was presented and uh, the effort was, was undertaken right away and so we we do have our uh at this point a pretty polished vassal module to work with and in this in this uh overtime episode uh we are going to uh, go through everything you need to know to obtain install and use that module now you know what the way i see the the vassal module is is really a lot more than just playing games. You know, I think that Vassal is going to provide an opportunity for us to to grow our community, to to establish connections and relationships within the community with um, you know, people who we might not otherwise get a chance to to, you know, game with and you know, for people like myself who are in uh geographic areas where not just other guild ball players, but other gamers in general can be a bit anemic. It's really going to be a lifeline and a way to, to actually be in the community in some ways. So, uh, Vassal definitely stands to, to play a, a very important role in the, in the future of the game and of the community and to, to really do good service in that regard. Now, one, one thing I, I will say is that, uh, in the couple of days since this was recorded, some of the some of the feature uh, issues which were pointed out in the discussion uh, did make their way back to to Ratty, who was able to uh, who was able to correct or, or enhance those areas that that we did 
uh, mention as perhaps needing or benefiting from some some changes in the course of the show. So just know that uh, really both of the issues that we brought up have already been addressed. And that's just, you know, a, a credit to to the guys who are doing this VASA work, that they're able to to be dynamic and to, uh, you know, be focused on the product. And uh, I think that that is definitely another positive. So let's go ahead and get started with the... Uh, with the show itself. So here it is, your introduction to Vassal. Joining me tonight is going to be Gary, also known as uh, that Gary guy on the, the Go Ball forums. And Gary is going to be our Vassal expert for the evening. And he's, I would say he's well qualified for the job, having been the the originator, I believe, of the Vassal module for Guild Ball. Is that correct, Gary? Uh, yeah, when they first decided that they wanted to do it way back um, mid-Kickstarter, Matt and Rich were going to try to tackle the project themselves, but, you know, as they still are, they were just swamped and couldn't get any time to do it. And I sort of volunteered to learn how to do everything, and I put together the the first couple of really rough modules. Right. Well, and it's uh, it's certainly come a long way, and it's, you know, from what I've seen of it, it it's you and uh, eventually Ratty has taken over the the development lead on it and uh you all have done a, a really good job of turning it into a uh a real great resource for everybody to to use so congratulations on that and thanks yeah i have to i definitely have to give basically all of the credit to ratty um if you had seen sort of the original implementation um it's far and away different than than what it is now we sort of um in the early stages when i first brought him in um i was going to college at the time and i just picked up a job and i had lost a lot of the time that i had to work on it and you know i asked him if he wanted if he minded helping me out and then eventually just due to the massive amount of experience he has working with basil um i handed it over to him and let him run with it and he has made it something amazing cool all right so Let's go ahead and for for the benefit of people who have have not had a, ever had an opportunity to use Vassal and are new to it, but but eager to try. Let's go ahead and and just start at the beginning. What is it that you need to get? Um, well, actually, even even before that, what is it that you need to have before you go get anything to to run Vassal? What kind of Hardware do you need specifically? Is there anything uh, that you that is required that would keep certain devices or certain setups from being able to run Vassal? Um, if you go, I, I believe you're going to have a link in the show notes. Yes. They have um, an excellent amount of um, resources just for making sure that your machine will run it. So far as I know, um, current dirt with the current build, most Windows machines have no problem. Most Macs have no problem. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they support Linux or not. Um, it would be something worth checking into. Well, let's see. We can go to the download page. There is a Linux install. There's a Mac, a Windows, and then you can get source files. So it does look like Linux, Mac OS, X, and Windows are the uh, the options. 
Now, the reason that it is limited to those and that you don't see it for, say, an iPad is that this is all built on uh, a Java foundation. So you need to be able to install and run Java. And one thing to keep in mind is that it may be the case that when you do get Vassal, you will also need to upgrade your Java, your Java install. But it will tell you when you're doing the install, or at least it did for me when I installed it on my Mac, uh, what you need to do and can even automate some of that process. So, so that's what you'll need. And I, I think that most people are going to have something running one of those operating systems. So that is the, the prerequisite though. So no Chromebooks, no iPads yet. Maybe someday if they change their foundation. <laughs> Yeah, the if you wanted to prepare before you went to get the Vassal engine itself, as long as you've got the Java runtime environment five five or after should be good according to their website. Mm-hmm. All right, so now once now you've got a, a machine to run this on, and you've you've done your your homework on getting your uh, your job up to date. So you're going to need two more things to run Vassal at that point. So the first is going to be the Vassal engine itself. And that is going to be available uh, right off of the, the VassalEngine.org homepage. You can go to the download section and get the one you need. I'll have a link to that in the show notes. And then go ahead and install that. And that, you know, that installation process is going to depend on your operating system. It's going to be different whether you're on a, a Mac or Windows, for instance. But uh, we'll follow the standard procedure. And go ahead and get that onto your machine and ready to go. And then you're ready for the module, which is where all the, it's really where all the magic happens. <laughs> so if you go to, uh, there's several play, several directions you can come at the Guild Ball module. One of them, of course, is the, the link, which has been placed in the, the Guild Ball forums. Another way to get there would be to uh, use the the link that I'm going to put in the show notes for for this podcast. And the final way would just be go to the module section on the Vassal site, go to the G category, and find it down there towards the bottom. It's going to say Module Guild Ball. Click on that, and you will go to the page. Now, this uh, on this page, you're going to see a list of versions. You're going to want to get the most recent which as of this moment is 4.51. You're only going to need to get the one most recent module. You don't need to get all of them. Just get the one most recent. There's also a controls reference uh, file available there. You might want to grab that as well to print and have next to you while you're playing. So you've installed Vassal. You have got grabbed the, the mod file. All right, so Gary, what do you do to get that mod file into your your Vassal engine? How do you let it know what you're trying to play? Okay, so all you have to do is um, drop the file menu down within the Vassal, Vassal engine when you're looking at the main page, and it's going to have a list of modules. If this is your first time, you're not going to have anything there. Um, you'll go to File, and all you have to do is click Open Module and then navigate to wherever you have GB uh, GB 4.51 saved. Um, once you locate the file, you just select it and hit open, and you're going to go into a loading process where Vassal is making sure that it, it has all of the assets processed, and it uh, it takes a little bit. 
especially with this module because it's it's just it's very big and there's a lot of automation so you expect to wait a little while the first time you open it and then once it finishes it will bring you to the um, wizard and that's good that wizard you can deselect the option to start it every game but um, it's helpful if you are going to be someone who's going to practice offline maybe you're you know looking at formations or you just want to put some things on the field without actually breaking models out um, or if you're going to be looking for a game online with other people. All right, that's great. So, so now you've you've enabled the ability to to load a game. So, um, let's talk about what you actually see when you when you launch launch the game and the module. So, the first page you're going to go to, especially if you've still got the wizard pulled up, is going to be the welcome screen. And that's going to give you uh, some options to start a game offline, look for a game online, or load a saved game. So, um, you know, assume that the, the first two options are the ones that are going to be most most relevant. So if you're just uh, trying to experiment with the module, see what it, see, you know, try out some controls, see what it looks like, you're probably going to want to take that offline option and go ahead and just load it uh, from there locally. However, if you are trying to play with uh, someone online, then you're going to want to take the the online option from there. So I'm just going to click offline and do next. All right. Next option is going to ask select setup. All right. So new game, demo game. What are the what are the, the differences between those? Um, a demo game, I think, if if Freddy has this set up the way I believe he does, when you um, go to a demo game, it should load you into a board that is pre-set up for um, the Guild Ball demo game, which is going to be uh, a smaller board size with the Fisherman team, Angel, Shark, and Siren, and the Butcher's team, Brisket, Ox, and Boiler. And it will already have Ox in possession of the ball, and I think you're ready to just launch straight into the game from there if that's what you want to do. Mm-hmm. All right, but then a a, uh, a new game will let you uh, define all that yourself. You'll be able to pick your your teams. You'll be able to pick your setup, go through the full startup process. So depending on which format of game you're wanting to play, that's the, the two directions that you're going to want to, to go. All right. So what, uh, let's say you're, you're wanting to play with other people. What's, what's the best way to find people to play with? You know, this is a, a, uh, the whole point of this, uh, vassal module is to play with other people. So what are the, what are the best ways to to locate and then to ultimately connect with other guild ball players? Okay, so right now, just due to the nature of our community and the fact that you know we're spread across multiple continents, um, <laughs> many many varied time zones, the best way to probably find an opponent just due to how new the the module is and how new the community is is going to be to go to the forums and. Um, this this has you haven't really seen too much of this start yet, but in the vassal section, um, we can start scheduling um, times to meet up with people, especially those you know that are going to be in different time zones and need to um, 
make up the time, so to speak, and make sure that they're they're on at the same time. Mm-hmm. Once once things get rolling, um, once you start to uh, see more people trickle in, and once we get sort of an established vassal community, it's all you have to do is um, go into find a game online at that first option instead of creating an offline one, mm-hmm. and you will find yourself in a lobby that will be populated by everyone else that is online at that point in time without having to adjust any settings or find them yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously you will need to be connected to the internet. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> sorry, you know, you always want to throw in those, those obvious things in case somebody has a question, but yeah. So I, uh, I, I see, uh, now. let's see us in the, uh, the lobby right now. I see some guy named Gary who's in there. I was, did just show up. Yeah. All right, and uh, you know, like like Gary said, you know, I, I think we can expect that once this uh, once this starts to uh, to proliferate, that that uh, that lobby will have uh, quite a few more people on a regular basis. So, and that is a uh, something we can certainly look forward to. So, let's see, so how do we actually start a game? I mean, I can see you there. What? Okay. Uh, how do you do the handshake and get things going? Um, so the first thing that you're gonna you need to make sure that you do if if you're gonna start a new game is to create a room. Um, when you first log in into the module, you're gonna be deposited in this main room section, which is where we are right now. Mm-hmm. Um, if you try to create a game here, you're gonna get an error message that's gonna pop up and it's gonna say something to the effect of um, "It doesn't want you here." <laughs> uh, all you do to create a room is where it says "New Game" and then there's that text box yep. um, in the active games panel there type in the name of the room um, you can make it whatever you want and then hit enter and it will drop you into yeah. a new instance and then anybody that wants to join you can just right click on that room title in the list and join room mm-hmm. um, there's options to lock the room if you don't want anybody to spectate um, just because of uh, sort of the nature of the engine spectators have the ability to move pieces around so if it's you know if it's if we're running a vassal tournament or something like that might be a a judges only type situation that you want in the room if you're worried about um, random people coming in and moving the pieces around or spamming the text box generally speaking it's not a problem though um you don't have especially in our community we don't have anybody that that strikes me as toxic or or (laughs) would behave that way so i think it'll be hope not all right, so what um, one thing we might do as a little sidebar here is that it might it might uh, be worth your time and trouble to also get yourself a a voice uh, a way to do voice chat, whether that is Skype or you know one of the uh, one of the MMO. Uh, you know, raid chat tools or something that is, uh, an option for you to, to actually have a, a voice conversation with the person that you're playing, because that will, that will make the game go a little bit easier. You know, as you're able to simply talk out the, the things that you need to communicate with, as opposed to typing them in the, the chat box. But it will also help to, uh, you know, it'll, it'll definitely be a big part of helping you to sort of uh, 
help us all turn this into more of a community. You know, when we're actually, uh, you know, when there actually is table talk and we're hearing each other's voice and we're, we're chatting above and beyond just what's happening in the game, you know, that's kind of how we, it's kind of how we, we jump that, um, get the difference between just people facelessly playing a game online and people kind of making friends to play a game with online. So I would definitely encourage people to to get and use Skype while playing while playing these games. Yeah, it the the amount of time that you will save yourself in um, texting individual questions, you know, I, or or statements. I'm gonna make. I'm gonna move my model here, and then you have to wait for that player to respond. Say if they have a counter charge or something like that that they want to do. Mm. When you're just when you're just speaking aloud, um, you don't have any slowdown, and so you can have a virtually real time game as opposed to without voice communication. Which just in in the past, I played uh, War Machine for quite a while on Vassal, and without voice, it is far far more lengthy than your your standard in a store game mm-hmm. oh i could imagine it would be it'd be a very long process i know that when we played you know i never i have not used vassal until now but back in the back in the dark ages i did use uh the play by mail uh, play by email, I guess. <laughs> you wouldn't want to do a play by actual mail. But the play by email version of Blood Bowl that was very popular in the early 2000s. And there was, you know, it was a completely faceless, voiceless, speechless process. And, and so it it never really felt like you were playing, you know, a, a tabletop game. It felt like you were just, you know, pushing colored boxes around. And it was... A little bit of a, a little bit of a chore there to kind of use that as a way to to build and and uh, maintain a community, whereas, you know, in, in the modern uh, in the modern world where we have ample opportunity to to interact across the distance, you know, use those tools and and make the most of them. So, all right. So at this point, we are in a room. And I still don't see any game boards or anything. What do we need to do next? Okay, so once once you've created your own room, and that that is a very important step because it, you know you have to make sure that you're not trying to create um, new games inside of the main room. Um, you just navigate to the file menu and click uh, either new game or demo game as an option here as well, just like it was offline. And uh, you you'll be taken to another wizard. Um, and it's going to ask you to choose a side. You've got observer, home team, visiting team. Um, the selection that you make here is going to prevent others from from making that same selection. If you choose home or visiting, only one person can occupy those spaces at a time. Um, once you're in the game, though, once you've selected that option and the game loads, there is a button um, at the top of the screen labeled Swap Team. And you can click that and become an observer or join the other side if uh, you need to switch table sides with the opponent. And this could be important if you're playing a game with terrain and you want to switch sides. Um, home and visiting are locked to um, the top and bottom of the screen, respectively. Mm-hmm. 
so the ability to uh, swap teams. You may want to just load in as, a, as an observer um, and then roll off and decide on terrain and everything before you load into an individual team just to make sure that you get the table edge that you want. Oh, that makes sense. That's a good tip. All right, so let's go ahead and I'll go ahead and start a new game. I'll come in as the home team. Uh-huh. All right, so now we have jumped in, and I've got a a guild ball board in front of me, and I've got uh, some sort of little control panel on the right that looks like it keeps track of lots of important things. But I don't see any uh, little people. Um, um, let's, uh, let's move on to setting up our... Uh, our game here well there is one more step um when you are you if you are already in a room with someone and they create a game like you just did Mm -hmm. um you the person who did not create that game will not automatically be dropped into that new instance of the game Mm -hmm. you will have to right click on um the other individual who did start the game and select the synchronize option Uh, once you've done that it Mm -hmm. will bring up that same that same wizard and you'll choose what side, and then you can drop in. So now I'm on the same board as oh, you excellent. are after right-clicking and selecting. When you join a room that's already has a game ongoing, um, I believe it will automatically synchronize you as you go into that room. So it's not an issue unless you are in the room at the time of the game creation. All right. That is, that is uh, definitely something that I did not know and would have probably struggled with if you hadn't mentioned it. All right, so so now we're, we're we're both in the room and we're ready to start setting up. So, you know, assuming that we're following the the normal uh, progression for uh, the the pregame sequence, but let's just go ahead and jump to the vassal specific parts of it. So, how do we set up our our board here? So maybe we want to set up terrain first. I would guess. Yeah, that's uh, that way you can decide, you know, whoever wins the roll-off, you can decide who's going to go where. Mm-hmm. Um, to do that, all you have to do is open up the roster, which is going to be a button located at the top of the screen. It's got a picture of, uh, I believe it's Stave and Vitriol there. Indeed it does. And uh, once you're in that tab, or excuse me, in that menu, you're going to have a number of tabs that um, will all give you a, sep- a separate subset of tokens that you can make on the board. And one of them is terrain. And you'll find in there, um, Raddy has it separated into surfaces, objects, structures, and flora. And then there will be individual lists um, within each of those subsets. Um, you may have to drag. There's going to be a, a separate window connected sort of adjacent to the right. And when I just loaded in here by default, I couldn't see that. So mm-hmm. I wasn't able to see the individual items. Brad had the same issue. So if you if you drag that over, you'll be able to see you know mud one through five, mm-hmm. and uh, once you have those things, you just you know click and drag it out onto the field, place it how you want. Um, it's important to note that once a terrain piece is is on the board and you're no longer clicking on it, if you were to try to click it again to move it, you'll notice that it will not allow you to. Once they're once they're down, they're permanent, unless you shift click on the item. And then it will allow you to pick it up and rotate it again. Um, this is just to prevent, as you play the game and you're moving models around, this prevents you from accidentally adjusting the terrain when you go to move a piece. Yeah, it's a good feature. All right, so 
so you know that'll be up to you, to you and your your fellow player of course what you do with any any terrain as would be as would always be the case in any game so moving on what would be the uh what would be the next part of this i, I guess we can go to um Setting up for the well, no. Let's go ahead and roll a die to to see uh, who goes first. So, let's talk about dice rolling. Okay, you'll notice uh, to the right of the field itself, to the right of the pitch, there is an entire control bar, and there's going to be lots of buttons and doodads over there. So it, it takes a little bit of getting used to if it's not something that you've dealt with before. But the first thing that you encounter when you go to the right of the pitch is a list of numbers that goes from 1 to 22, and there will be a number of hollow boxes um, to the right of those numbers. Mm -hmm. If you click on, let's say, 5 as an example, um, after just a moment of loading, you will get um, 5 dice will show up in those hollow squares rolled. Um, Randy's got it set up on a random number generator. And uh, the really awesome feature, this is something that we, um, when, when he first came in and we talked about this together and we were trying to figure out how to make it more convenient um, than the old dice, which was just a series of pink numbers that ran in the text bar, Raddy came up with this awesome idea to have that two up, three up, four up, five up, six up menu that's to the right of the dice. Mm -hmm. And it will tell you how many dice fall into each of those categories. So if you need to know how many, let's say you're, you know, you're attacking somebody with four up, one armor, you can look over into the four up section and see that you have two successes that fall into um, that category. Subtract one from that and you know that you've, you've achieved column one in your playbook or whatever it is that you're doing. So it takes some of the, you know, you don't have to add up anything or go ahead and um, fish it out yourself, which is really handy when you're yeah. rolling the dice and you're trying to, you know, you're trying to move along at a decent pace. Sure. No, that's that's a great it's a great feature. All right. So that is how we would have rolled dice. We would have taken turns just clicking on the one box, and that would have allowed us to each roll a die to see who was uh, who was first. Um, there is one other option. If uh, this is something that you can do at the beginning of each new turn as well, there's a button at the top of the screen mm -hmm. that says new turn. Yeah. And if you click this button. Um, it will automatically roll for both teams and it will add to that roll anything that was left over in the momentum pool from the beginning of the game. Mm -hmm. And if you have goal scored, it will also tell you how much um, influence to add to, um, to your pool that turn. Well, wow, very nice. So um, in this case, let me see. With the first roll, if you look in that, that text menu up top the first roll was tied mm -hmm. and so it automatically re-rolled for us and we see that the home team rolled a five the visiting team rolled a six and it'll tell you mm -hmm. that the visiting team I'm won initiative <laughs> <laughs> and so uh if if you do that you can go ahead and you know it'll tell you who won initiative the visiting team can decide if if they want to kick or receive mm -hmm. and then you can just proceed with uh, the start of game as you would on the tabletop very nice all right, so now we're going to go ahead and we're going to place our our squad onto the pitch. So in that box that we had pulled terrain out of earlier, which was uh, reachable by clicking on the roster button, one there are tabs in there for the home team and the visiting team. And 
within that are drop-down menus for each of the playable teams. And so selecting one, let's say I was going to pick the Masons, which should not surprise anybody. <laughs> um, I see the the full list of the uh, the seven Masons players, but I also see conveniently the Union players available to them. Yeah, so no that question is, there as to who awesome can play thing for that me. You've done is, yep. is to, instead of having the earlier versions, it was you know each team was isolated in its own thing. But he has the union models instanced in each of the individual ones, so you don't have to you don't have to reference as you're making your team. You know, if you don't have that, have your book right there, mm-hmm. uh, who can play where? Sure. All right. So what you're going to do is you're going to click on the name of a player. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to grab Honor because she's my captain. So you're going to click on the name of a player, but then what you need to do is come to the left where you see the the token for the player with the the picture of that player's face in it. You're going to want to, you're going to need to drag the token into the game board, not the not the text of their name. I know the first time I tried to do this, I uh, assumed the other way and uh, didn't work out too well. So, just one at a time. You're going to go ahead and you're going to grab your your starting lineup, whatever they happen to be, and pull them down onto the field to get ready to uh, play the game. Let's see, Brick will be my sixth. So there we go. So I've got, I have six players on the field. And I can drag them around to wherever I need to, to get them ready to play the game. So now if I have a question about where my deployment zone is, one thing I have noticed is that there is a little tab beside the field that says deployment, strangely enough. And when you click that on, it will give you a a colored highlight of the area of the pitch, which is uh, uh, the, the the deployment zone for your team. So, while the default grass pitch does have a nice uh, chalk line to delineate the deployment zone, if you were playing on a on a pitch where it's not as clear, you do have that nice graphic um, help there. So do keep that in mind, and you can click that on and off as you need it. All right, so I have set up my my players, and I know that, uh, let's see, was I kicking to you? Was that what we were going to do here? <laughs> yeah, that's fine. All right, so now to... To uh, to move a player, what you're going to do is you're going to select that player. So you're going to click on them. So say I wanted to take the kickoff with, with my man Flint. Uh, I will pick on him and or click on him. And you'll notice a little uh, compass arrow appears on the, the active player that you've picked on. Clicked on. I don't know why. I insist on saying it otherwise. Now you can use your arrow keys to spin that arrow around, and that's going to be the the facing for uh, the direction of travel that the the player is going to take when you actually do a move. It's going to be a left and right arrow, and then as far as movement goes, each forward click is simply going to move them one inch in the selected direction. So. And if I needed to know how far Flint moved, 
when he's selected, I can click my spacebar and that will normally cause his card to appear. Why is it not? Um, you may have to manually pull up uh, the visitor and home statistics. Oh, there we go. I didn't click the statistics button. That's the problem. Right. So there is on the on the toolbar at the top, there is a box for home statistics and a box for visitor statistics. And that is going to be your little uh, card viewers. And it also has within it your um, your uh, quick reference sheets, as well as um, when you have selected a player, this card, you're able to make some notes below that card, which is a nice feature as well. So I can see that Flint has a five-inch standard move. So three, four, five. So I have moved him forward. Let's go ahead and move the ball next to him for the time being. The ball just moves like a, a token. You just click on it and drag it around. All right, so now I need to take a kick. So here's where this tape measures thing comes in. <laughs> yes. The tape, the, the Vassal tape is um, legendary for being a very finicky object, and it's just because of um, sort of the nature of drawing a line in a program like this from point to point and trying to make it um, accurate to inch measurements. You'll notice when you select the tape um, up there that a, that a tooltip will pop up and it'll tell you that it measures in tenths of an inch. So I know a lot of people, when they first use these, they look and they're like, well, why Why does it say 80? It's, it's actually just saying 8.0 is where you're at right there for... Uh, for inches that second number is going to be the tenth place mm -hmm. all right so now here's one of the things that i could not like what i ex the expected behavior that i had was that number one the the little line would stay there until i told it to go away it does seem to vanish as soon as i click on something else so if i've drawn my eight inch line or in this case 80 tenths of an inch and i want to go click on the ball to move it my little tape measure line goes away. Is there a way to either make that persistent or to have something snap to that spot? Am I missing a feature here? No, this is, um, this is a change that um, Raddy has put in somewhere between when I was working on this and now. There used to be you would drag the line out to you know where you wanted to measure it and then left-click on that spot and the, um, the ruler would lock in and stay. Um, since then, however, they, they decided that rather than use the, the tape to measure, they found it easier to use a feature within Vassal called Aorus. And so what you would do to use the Aorus is right-click on your model, first of all, before you know the hotkey, and you'll find uh, a menu of everything, hmm. every action that that, that model can take. And um, one of these is Aorus, and these mm -hmm. are from one inch all the way to 20 inches, and there's a hotkey for each. Um, at that point, you'll see you can you can then have that that entire diameter, excuse me, the the visual representation of the entire range that you have for any given player's kick, mm -hmm. uh, any given character play, any uh, charge distance, or anything that you're trying to look at. Um, what's what's important to note, however, is that 
that aura is centered on the model. So mm -hmm. if you're using it to check charge distances or something like that, um, first you'll need to check um, the aura and make sure that there's, you know, the place that you're trying to go is indeed within your range. And then you will have to move your model manually. Or um, if, you know, if it's a friendly game, you could probably just pick the model up and drag it over to that place. Mm -hmm. um, I will probably try to talk with Ratty at some point and see if he could uh, give us the locking feature back on the tape. Just because there's some of the old school guys like myself who actually, I, I prefer to use the tape um, mm -hmm. than the auras. And it's not, it's a, it's just a matter of changing an option in the menu sure. um, to get that, that functionality back. All right. Very good. So now I have, I've used the aura to place the, the ball. Now we need to do a scatter. So we can right click on the ball and you'll see that it has that, that same group of uh, options that Gary just mentioned and one of those is going to be uh, core and under core strangely enough it's not under scatter apparently that is a disabled feature at the moment under core you're going to see show kick template in this case and there's also show uh, scatter template so we'll pull up the kick template now we just need to use our arrows to line that up pointed back to flint as well as it can be done and i'm going to stop you one second here the i noticed that that very thing where you're having problems um the right and left arrow keys are actually if you look in the hot key for or excuse me in the menu for movement mm -hmm. they're linked to um rough directional control mm-hmm there, within that menu, there's also options for fine control, which you can do by holding shift and hitting right or left. Mm -hmm. And there's also the option for free rotation, um, where with the ball selected, if you hit the end key, it will go into free rotation mode. You can rotate it um, to wherever position you need it to be to make yeah. sure that it lines up accurately. Nice. And then I believe it's just left click to lock the position in, right? Uh, sure. <laughs> All right, so we've we've lined it up one way or the other, and now we need to do a. Uh, we'll use our dice again to do direction and distance, which I don't know why I clicked the wrong button there. But let's go back to a one. Here we go. So let's see, what did I end up with? I ended up with a four and a two when I clicked the right button. So we need to move. We'll click the ball. We'll take the kick template off. We will put the two inch aura on. We can see that the ball is going to be right about there. So we move it, click the aura back off again, and we're, we are ready to go. So that is how we use. Uh, some of the controls. So now let's move on to now that we're ready to start a turn. Let's talk about how you let's talk about how you assign influence to your players, and that is accomplished how. 
Okay, so if you uh, if you right click on on the model itself on the token, yep. um, each one will have that menu, and there is a section titled Influence. You'll see that um, number pad plus and number pad minus will um, raise and lower influence, and number or excuse me, um, enter will clear influence. So if you've got a model selected, you can just hit the plus and minus key, and you'll see a little yellow dot um, on the side of the model. And each one of those dots represents one point of influence that is on that model. Very good. And then, obviously, as we spend that influence, uh, subsequently in the turn, you can use the, the minus key to take it away as, as needed. Absolutely. So, all right. Now, the... <clears throat> know how much info. I think I get 12 on this team, but I'm just randomly assigning some influence there. So now it looks to be a bit overloaded. All right. So now we would proceed with the game as, uh, as normal for a, a regular turn. So would we go ahead and click the new turn button at this point? No, absolutely. Uh, well, well, for the first turn, you don't need because, to. Yeah, right. Because yeah. the receiving team always goes first. But if it was a different turn, then we would have used the new turn, and it would have let us know who would go first. Yeah, and it's if you uh, you'll notice in the if we want to real quick just for sort of general mechanics when you're when you're doing turns, um, we've already covered mo uh, movement and how you place influence on models. Um, mm -hmm. Within that menu, there's also options for wounds. Mm -hmm. for um, status effects, for um, putting the taken out condition on a model. All these things um, are within models lists, and certain models also have a section called special ranges. And that is, um, for instance, the gas model I have here, that is his unmasking range. And Raddy went ahead and hard programmed that in so that if, um, if you want to just real quick show a special range for an ability that you might have on a model you can um, display that oh very nice um, the other thing control wise is going to be that, that menu to the right of the pitch that we were talking about earlier besides the dice rolling buttons there is also a momentum point counter mm -hmm. and a number of goal counters for each team and these are operated very simply by clicking the plus or minus buttons um, on the counters themselves um, and then clicking in the appropriate receptacle for a ball in the goal tokens. Um, this is linked to the VP counter, so you'll notice as you click a ball um, into a, a, a goal token area, it will give you the proper amount of VPs in your VB counter, which is um, under the dice row there. And then if we're just doing a player taken out, there isn't the graphic rep representation that you get with the ball, but it does add to your BP count and it will, uh, it will keep track of that accurately for you. When you, um, when you put the take, taken out condition on one of your models, it automatically did that or you had to right click on the VP I believe it. I had to right click on it because I was playing with it. I think. But if I did, no, it did not automatically do it. Okay, so that is something. There's probably 
if I had to guess, Raddy's got it automated in here somewhere. Yeah. But if it's something that you're trying to adjust manually, um, just like almost everything in this module, if you right-click on it, you'll find a menu that will tell you everything that that piece does. Mm -hmm. So if there's ever a question and you're not sure how to do something, try right-clicking on it, and you'll probably find um, something in the way of an answer to help you um, get through with whatever the problem is. Yeah, I do see that there is like, a, if you right click on the goal, there's an option to score a goal. So you can, there are several different ways to do that. All right. So, what are some, what are some good uh, other tips for, for actually playing out your turns? What are some, what are some features that people need to be aware of and know what they're going to be? Uh, in for while they when they play okay so i think um one of the first things if, if you're just learning the module um it will speed up your play time immensely if you take a little bit of time and look through that character menu that we were talking about and learn some not all because there there are a ton of options in those menus but learn some of the most important um hotkeys for certain effects that you want to, or that you know that you're going to be using frequently, like allocating influence, um, like changing your wounds, um, things like this that you know that you're going to do many, many times throughout a match. If you can do that just by a key press instead of having to bring the menu up, then you're going to do that little bit towards speeding up your game time and making sure that it runs as real time as possible. Mm -hmm. um, uh, one thing we mentioned this briefly earlier, but the um, the momentum counter in this game, you can add or subtract to it by using the buttons. Um, when you use that new turn button, which I'll click now just to illustrate, it will automatically empty each of the uh, momentum point receptacles. And because there are so many models on the board right now, you'll notice that that took a little bit more loading time. Um, but if you look at the little readout, you'll see that it added my momentum point total. Boy, and you needed all those momentum points too. I, I did. That was a terrible role. <laughs> um, so that's, I think you'll find as you, as you're familiarizing yourself with the module, there's a lot of things that Raddy has automated, um, that you'll discover just as you're playing. Um, that, that, that was a feature that we talked about implementing, um, way back when, and it took a while to figure out, but Raddy, Raddy got it done. And it's something that I think is really neat. Um, just to save you a little bit of note taking and you know bookkeeping at the beginning mm -hmm. of the turn. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's see what other what other tools are we going to need here. So you, there are a selection of templates available in addition to the auras and such that you'll find when you are playing somebody you know like the alchemist who are going to be tossing templates down a lot. Back up in that roster section are an assortment of those three-inch AOEs, and you can drag those down onto the field and put them where they need to go. And they are um, they are specific to the type, so you can get a fire, you can get a poison, you can get cover. So it is a, a nice visual representation of what it is, so you don't necessarily need to remember which one was fire you just you know the orange one is fire so that's a nice feature now there are uh a few different ways to handle um the the assorted other tokens there are there are token 
items that you can drag around on the field if you uh that would I would think correspond to most of the things like poison and fire and bleed. But there's also, if you are going to drag those tokens around, it's going to take a little more time. Better way to do that is to use the, uh, the right click on the player and apply a status to them. So that will automatically move with the player and be a better way of doing that. But should you need, just a little token on the field for anything else for any other reason. They're there for you to, they're there for you to use as well. So lots of little things to, to move around and to, uh, to play with and with these, with those, uh, other tokens, you are even able to, uh, right click and type in a, a little note on it. So if you wanted to, you know, this is the place for the thing. And now I've got a little thing on the field that just says that was the place for the thing. So, you know, I can't think of too many uh, things that would happen in the game that you can't somehow indicate with the, the toolbox that's been provided here. It's very flexible, very comprehensive. Most of it is automated. What isn't automated is easily obtained. So... It will be a learning curve for myself, for sure, and, and you know, for any new player. But I don't, I don't think it's going to be a long learning curve. And I do think that, you know, the the benefit of being able to to not just play uh, games on on occasions when you might not be able to get out to your to your local group, but for those of us who are a bit more geographically challenged uh, to be able to play at all. Is definitely a uh, it's definitely a wonderful option to have. So, you know, I think that this is a a huge positive for for the Guild Ball community, and I do think that uh, we are going to be using this thing quite a bit, and to uh, you know to to good to good use as well. So. Yeah, everybody get out there. Uh, let's have some fun. I'm sure that uh, if I can get the time, I'd be happy to, to play with some people. And you'd have to uh, forgive my own ineptitude for as I learn this just as, just like everybody else. But <laughs> we will all be experts soon. So, uh, all right. I think that that, uh, that really covers the basis of this. Uh, any closing thoughts there, Gary? Uh, yeah, if... You know, after if, if you're listening to this and you happen to catch Ratty around the forum, take take time out to thank him for uh, for all the work that he's put into this because this has been you know a ton of hours that he's invested into creating this resource for us. Definitely. And um, you know, it's this is the thing that's going to allow those of us that are based in the U.S. to play with some of our European friends um, over on the forums. This is a tool that's going to allow us to run online tournaments mm -hmm. and to have all of these great things in the future that we wouldn't have if he hadn't put in the time to bring this up to up, bring it up to stuff, make it what it is today. Um, and it's, you know, it's I'm certainly very thankful to him for doing so because it allows me to play games with people that I otherwise wouldn't be able to. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So my thanks is extended and uh, each of you can do it yourself in turn so all right then i think we're going to uh 
think we are going to call this one uh, call this one done, and uh, we will see you next time for uh, the next installment of whatever Gilball tonight has to offer. All right, good night, everybody. Knees up. Watch the nine. To join the conversation, comment on the show post at guildballtonight.com or email us at guildballtonight at gmail.com. Phil can also be heard on the Game Pumping Podcast. Bill can also be heard on the Gamers Lounge Podcast. Check them out on iTunes. That's when the guinea pigs go nuts. If you've ever wondered, if you've ever heard in the back of the show this this mad rustling noise, it's actually the I share a the den with three guinea pigs, and uh, sometimes they go nuts right in the middle of me talking. So and there's the mystery solved. There's the mystery solved. You're one of the few who know the truth. <laughs>